Welcome to episode 66 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We try to cover six topics in about 15 minutes, not always successful, but it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend. Joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, Anshul Sag. And once again, we welcome Diana from Fierce Wireless. So let's hey get guys. started. Hey, welcome. My first topic this week is an announcement between AT&T and OneWeb. They're going to partner up to extend reach into remote areas. And so the press release spoke to areas that are lacking in fiber and obviously areas that are lacking in, you know, traditional cell tower support. And so my thought is, could this be successful? And certainly OneWeb's had its challenges. And we've talked about OneWeb on prior podcasts. Um, They've gone through bankruptcy reorganization. Hughes invested in them. They've had some additional investments in them as well. But this is a real big win for OneWeb, in my perspective, really legitimizes what they're doing. I did some research, and it appears that uh, to date, they've launched uh, 288 low-Earth orbit satellites. They expect that number to rise to almost 650. And they expect global co- coverage by the end of 2022. So they're they're well on their way to you know establish their you know their footprint. And certainly, you know I've talked about you know bridging the digital divide, and you know you're not going to have fiber in these you know outermost parts you know of of rural America and rural parts of the world as well. So I think this is a great partnership, and you know it really speaks to the viability of of Leo. Uh, to be a, a key part of bridging the digital divide. So Diana, I'm wondering, do you have any insights here? Yeah, so I actually talked to AT&T about this this week. And um, so there are a couple points to hit. So uh, to your point about this being a really big win for OneWeb, it is um, to date, they've kind of uh, had a handful of distribution agreements and MOUs with um, you know a couple Canadian operators. I think there was one go- government in there um, as well as a couple others. Um, from what I understand from AT&T, this is going to be focused on providing uh, service to their enterprise and business customers. This isn't uh, a residential broadband service uh, in the way that some people uh, are looking at satellite for residential. Um, and this is also something they might use for remote cell site backhaul. Um, and uh, also from what I understand from chatting with them, um, AT&T is going to be the one that has the relationship with the customers. Um, so you know, the customers are just going to buy services and they'll get them through AT&T and that's the name they'll see on the bill. They're not going to necessarily know that OneWeb is the one that's providing them. Um, Of course, everything is still early. Um, They said at this time they're not looking at it for residential, but they kind of left open the door that like maybe that's a route they could explore in future. They're not right now, uh, to be clear, Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if that evolves over time. Yeah, I think it could. But uh, great insight. Wow. I guess I picked the right topic to lead off with. <laughs> but let's, let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about DISH and some 5G delays. I was actually at the big 5G event in person in Denver last week. DISH did take the stage and they, I was quite impressed with what they discussed around leveraging their, their MDNO acquisitions to have almost a million subscribers at launch. But there have been some delays and you want to talk about yeah, so I wanted to kind of just, uh, it was something that one of our contributors, Sue Merrick, uh, raised in a column for uh, Fierce Wireless this week. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to touch on it because, you know, everybody's been talking about DISH, but 
Dish also has some downsides. Um, they were originally hoping, I think, to do a commercial launch in Q4 of this year, but that has now kind of been, you know, pushed back to 2022. And that that's not exactly confidence inspiring, especially mm-hmm. uh, given Dish's, you know, track record with some other things like the IoT network that they decided to scrap. Um, but it's interesting also um, that they were trying to reassure um, that you know they are committed to building this 5G. Uh, they're committed to doing it right, even if it is a little bit behind schedule. Um, and that even though there are, um, you know, you have to work through some of the the newness around Open RAN and, and kind of um, threading that network together, um, they are still committed to doing it. Um, and one of the things that I've kind of been watching in my spare time um, is what Dish is posting on LinkedIn. Um, they kind of like or they post and what you see is like there there are little bits of construction that they um, are hinting at so uh, some of the places we've seen obviously Las Vegas is where they're planning to do their launch Um, I've also spotted uh, some likes and or uh, interesting tidbits uh, around Richmond uh, Orlando DC Houston Um, they're hiring for construction and site development stuff um, over in Indianapolis and Minneapolis Um, so I think it'll be interesting to watch those. I'm also, I'm trying to keep track of those as they go along, you know, because you always want to play the guessing game of where they'll launch first. But I don't know if you guys have anything to add um, in terms of dish and delays. Uh, Anshul, maybe you have something. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It doesn't really inspire much confidence, uh, you know, when they push back uh, the launch of a network. And, you know, it doesn't, it also doesn't help that they, you know, are inking some MVNO deals, um, so it doesn't really inspire much confidence in their own network. Um, and it's really, you know, we've seen a lot of deals that are going down that that in, inspire that they're going to do something, but we don't know necessarily whether it'll be when they say it'll be or if it'll happen at another delayed date. Um, and like you said, you know, the, the number of subscribers is also going to be questionable um, because, you know, they're not really going for any um, enormous markets quite yet. Um, it looks like they're going for some mid-tier or lower. Um, so I'm not sure how many subscribers they'll be able to get. But um, you know, the one thing I think we should be looking at is when they start ramping their marketing activities, because um, I think that'll really tell us when they're when they think they're ready to launch. Because uh, you know they won't want to waste those marketing dollars and, unless they're going to benefit from them. I'll just add something there. It's interesting, when I was in Denver last week, I, I know that AT&T has not deployed its 5G um, footprint in Denver. And isn't DISH based in Colorado? So, I mean, why wouldn't they they pick, you know, a market in Colorado like Denver to launch its network? I don't know. You know, people with bigger paychecks probably make those decisions, but. <laughs> the only other tidbit I would add is, uh, I don't remember the date off the top of my head. It might be June. Uh, they they have set coverage targets they have to hit. Uh, so it's interesting to watch the delays up against those targets. Mm-hmm. Cool, I'll- so then I'll, uh, I'll work on my, uh, my first topic, which is uh, the, the NFL and Verizon. Uh, have signed another 10-year deal. Um, this is actually an extension of a 10-year deal they had 10 years ago. Um, so they're extending it for another 10 years. Uh, and this deal is a obviously like you know a very big partnership. Um, you know the NFL has already installed um, f- with Verizon's help 
you know, 25 different stadiums with 5G millimeter wave. Um, and this is gonna be an extension of that partnership and a continuation, really leveraging 5G and millimeter wave as a, the core of it. Um, and they're going to, um, you know, start adding things like 5G multi-view, uh, which allows for seven simultaneous camera streams, uh, as well as augmented reality overlays of NFL and next-gen stats um, on 5G-enabled phones. So there are going to be some, some added user experience improvements to the NFL fan experience that sounds like it's going to be only in the stadium, and it's only going to be possible by millimeter wave. And the stadium is a perfect example, you know, of millimeter wave being, you know, a great application because you have so many users in the same place and you basically have a, uh, you know, a coverage hole in most scenarios because these, these stadiums are made of concrete and rebar um, and these DASs can't handle it unless they're millimeter wave. So this is a really good partnership. I think it's a um, good spend for Verizon to get more visibility, especially as people start going back to, NFL games and filling up stadiums. Um, but overall, it's going to cost a rumored billion dollars, um, which is about 100 million a year. Um, but, it, you know, it, for Verizon, they're going to need to continue to market their 5G network. And sports is a great application for that. And honestly, from my experience, millimeter wave in stadiums is far and beyond better than anything else. Obviously, mid band would be great to have, but, you know, millimeter wave has the best capacity. So, uh, I think this is a win for Verizon and the NFL and potentially even people who are attending games in person, because I personally don't actually enjoy watching a lot of NFL games in person anymore, just because I feel like a lot of stadiums don't really have that great of an experience. So I think this is a great way to elevate the experience and make going in person again, more fun and, you know, different from what it was pre the pandemic. Um, and also kind of justify some of these stratospheric ticket prices that we're seeing in some of these new stadiums. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add something to that. So I, at the Big 5G event, I met with JMA Wireless. Um, they've been partnered with the NFL, and it's not really been around the fan experience. It's been back office in communications. And in particular, I discussed with one of their executives there on site what JMA is doing to enable some private LTE and 5G deployment for communication. So communication from press box down to the coaching staff and in between the coaching staff and players that are, that are headphone and mic'd up. And, and, you know, and, and I asked them, it's like, wow, audio, you know, I would think video, right. You know, with, you know, with 5g with, you know, lower latency and faster throughput, but, but the, these, uh, these audio channels are digital and they're multi-channel. And so, and, and there's typically a lot of contention, like you mentioned, Anshul with uh, the DAS systems and these stadiums. And so um, they actually, it's, it's, it's publicly um, disclosed, but they supported uh, the communications infrastructure for the, uh, I believe it was the Hall of Fame game. And so I think you're gonna see, you know, a lot of applications with 5G within sporting arenas that are not necessarily, you know, fan facing, they're gonna be, you know, sort of back office as well. So, and Diane, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Uh, not too much. I, I mean, I'm not really surprised by this deal because um, obviously, you know, a lot of the operators have been uh, really gung ho uh, on these sorts of experiences as they're trying to find ways to market 5G. It's all it's it's been around the fan experience. They've they've had all these demos at uh, these stadiums, um, you know, pretty much everywhere you go. Um, and 
you know, it's been about the, the, the fan experience um, in stadium, you know, stuff like gaming. And I really think this is where it's a good venue to try to reach consumers and convey that message. Um, and so I'm not surprised that they would uh, spring for a deal like this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a way, I think, in the future to monetize things. But, you know, AT&T with the Dallas Cowboys, um, they they have done a lot with 5G within AT&T Stadium, but that's not necessarily a monetization opportunity. It's just it's just kind of improving the overall fan experience. And so, yeah, it's exciting to see it. You know, obviously, Millimeter Wave and sporting venues, we've talked, you know, Anshul and I have talked about that on prior podcasts. That's a killer, you know, killer, you know, use case. So, but let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Cisco. And recently uh, there was uh, an announcement where Cisco with a handful of companies in Austria um, conducted a proof of concept for a remote piloted racing car. And on prior pod, on a prior podcast, you know, Anshul and I covered um, the July announcement between uh, T-Mobile and Halo, where Halo is operating in the Las Vegas market. T-Mobile has a very complete 5G deployment out there, low, mid, and, you know, and, and higher band spectrum. And it's a similar situation. It's an electric car. It's, it's remote piloted. And it's basically, it's, it's delivered to someone that wants to rent it on a fractional basis. And, but this is really cool. It kind of takes the next level. It's also an electric car, but it's a racing car that can speed up to 150, 170 miles an hour. And um, they actually conducted this proof of concept at a Red Bull racing track somewhere in Austria. And the, the pilot of the vehicle was almost 50 miles away from the vehicle and was able to navigate this successfully. And so, you know, uh, what Cisco is bringing to the table is it's basically 5G over SD-WAN. So uh, with edge enablement, and it really, you know, and I've talked about the power of bringing edge and 5G together. And uh, so it's an exciting proof of concept. And I really think, you know, as we see the Halo T-Mobile announcement and we see this proof of concept with Cisco, I mean, this could be a real deal. I mean, this could be taking the Uber and the Lyft and the ride sharing scenario to another level. You know, and obviously, you know, um, Uber has talked quite a bit about, you know, uh, you know, autonomous, you know, delivery of vehicles, but um, it's just the technology isn't quite there yet. So Anshul, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's, it is interesting because, you know, racing is one of those edge cases in terms of technology that um, make it very easy to understand whether there are limitations to the technology. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of interest in, you know, in my mind that you have FPV drones, you could have FPV cars, right? Yeah. Um, so you could take the, the uh, risk to the driver out of the equation. Uh, I believe that the track that they did this on was in, near Vienna, um, which used to be a Formula One racetrack. Um, and, you know, there have been deaths at that track before. So the idea mm -hmm. of eliminating the potential of, of a death at a track um, is something interesting, but obviously there's a whole physical aspect to Formula One that makes it the sport that it is. Um, yeah. But overall, you know, I think it's I think it's just a, another you know example of how 5G low latency is is ultimately going to be probably the biggest use case um, for 5G. Uh, even though the speeds are great, you know, the the, mil, yeah. the, the latency is going to be what really drives applications. I don't know. What do you think, Diana? 
Uh, not too much to add. You guys covered it pretty thoroughly. But uh, the interesting part for me, I, I, I don't know how much uh, you guys know. I've been kind of more immersed in, in the wireline and telecom side of things recently. Um, and I thought the 5G over SD-WAN element was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of wanted to point to that and, and see if we're going to see more of that. Um, I know that we had covered this, and, and one of the things was that the SD-WAN network, uh, it was supporting the steering link, the video feeds, um, and the communication uh, to the, the pit crew and all of that. It was really cool. Um, so I just want to see if that's something we'll hear more about, because uh, like you guys have said, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the edge. Um, you don't always hear SD WAN thrown into that press release, though. Right. So uh, I'm going to have my eye out for that for sure. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's lots of convergence going on in networking, you know, and security and all of that. And yeah, so it is. It is interesting to see these different things and you know technologies and platforms coming together. But Diana, let's move to your next topic uh, this week, and you want to talk about Ericsson and um, energy usage, right? Yeah, so um, they recently put out a press release about a, uh, some trials they were doing with Vodafone um, that kind of showed, uh, you know, more than a 40% reduction in the daily average energy use using their 32TR uh, radio. Um, and I think it was something like 43% um, during, you know, peak hours and 55% during non-peak um, but that's a huge deal, um, especially if you take it in context of what everybody's been saying about 5G is going to require so much more energy, um, not just because of the bandwidth demands, but also because of, you know, like increasing number of small cells, small cells and all of that. So I thought that was, you know, kind of worthwhile to note. Um, and so what Votive's phone said they're going to do is they're going to deploy 1500 of those radios across their network. Um, I think it was in the UK by April of next year. Um, and I think it's notable that Vodafone is moving on this because that's another trend we've seen in the industry um, of operators talking about their carbon footprints and trying to reduce emissions. And I know Vodafone specifically is targeting uh, 2027 to reach net zero emissions in the UK, uh, which is probably why they're moving on those radios so quickly. Um, and then 2040 for the rest of its global operations. So. I just wanted to highlight that it's, it's kind of showing um, just progress on a trend that we've been seeing. And I don't know if you guys have heard any more about this. Um, Anshul, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I actually did see this announcement and I thought um, it was interesting. Um, and I had a feeling a lot of people wouldn't cover it because it's just, you know, it's a power thing. But for anybody who really tracks, um, you know, service providers and, you know, operators, you know, that power is one of their largest costs um, because, you know, these things are always on. Right. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, having a 40% reduction in average energy use is huge. Um, and to your point, you know, they're, they're, they're probably going to be very aggressive with this because of that. Um, and I think ultimately um, the idea that 5G has the potential to increase power consumption I think it's a valid point, but at the same time, we also have to look at, you know, power consumption per bit, right? And um, that's significantly coming down with 5G. And if we can even lower that more, I think it's it's a net benefit um, for everybody. Uh, and overall, I just think that, you know, this equipment probably won't come cheaply. 
um, because of the energy efficiency and the cost savings. Um, but I think that it will um, potentially push the rest of the, the industry to continue to move in this direction towards improved energy efficiency, um, simply because I think everyone wants us to be more efficient um, as a uh, industry. And yeah, I think it's a very welcome, you know, improvement by uh, Ericsson. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I, I'll just add that today, actually, Cisco had an announcement around its net zero initiative as well. Diana, you know, what, what, what you spoke to with Vodafone mirrors very closely to Cisco as well, as far as their goals and that sort of thing over the next, you know, couple of decades and that sort of thing. So it's like, you know, you know, I, I think you're going to see more and more, you know, not only, you know, service providers and operators, but infrastructure providers really focus on this as well, you know, for the betterment of the, uh, the overall environment. So, yeah, actually, and I, you, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Diana. I was just going to say real quickly, I know that there, uh, there was a ton of operators that signed on to, I think it was a GSMA pact uh, to address energy efficiency by a certain date. I don't have it on, on hand, but uh, yeah, so I, I, this is really something that's that's going to be picking up, I, I would expect. But uh, yeah, sorry. A- Angel, go ahead with your last topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, the last topic for me is going to be about, um, there's a conference that just wrapped up in, in Munich, which is IIA21. Um, and this is kind of like the um, mobility conference for the automotive industry. And at that conference, um, one of the big attendees there was Qualcomm uh, and their new CEO, Cristiano Amon, kind of talked about the importance of 5G uh, and enabling a lot of these new um, automotive use cases because right now in the automotive industry, the big topics are autonomy um, and, and being able to enable, uh, you know, 5G connectivity in cars to improve uh, telematics and to improve uh, you know, entertainment. And uh, Cristiano kind of talked about how there's a big component with infrastructure as well and how uh, there's going to have to be lots of improvements to the 5G infrastructure um, to enable a lot of these ADAS applications in addition to having 5G connectivity in the car and what that 5G connectivity can do for the car. Um, and he didn't just stop there because he also talked about how 5G also helped the automotive factory um, because you know there's a lot of applications for 5G in, in private networking that will help to um, enable automotive manufacturers to retool their factories and upgrade their equipment without having to worry about ethernet um, and being able to do that at very low latency. So um, there, there, there's a lot of 5G use cases for, for the automotive industry that are still kind of being tested out. Um, last week, we just spoke about BMW and their partnership with Deutsche Telekom and Vodafone and enabling eSIM with 5G and how the eSIM is actually tied to the user and their BMW account rather than the vehicle, which is an interesting use case. But that's also something that came from the show um, kind of as one of those pre-announcements. But um, it's really interesting and important to see that you know somebody like Qualcomm, who's a, a big driver of 5G, is very focused on the automotive industry and has their eyes set on, you know, connectivity and AI and ADAS to enable better in-car experiences. Um, you know, because if you look at what 
the in-car experience was five years ago and you compare it to today, they don't feel remotely the same. And because the automotive industry moves a little bit slower than the rest of the tech industry, um, I expect that we'll see things change drastically over the next five years from today. Yeah, I'll just comment, you know, I continue to be impressed with Qualcomm, you know, as a company, I think they're doing more than, than many with respect to demonstrating the application and use case for 5G. Obviously, they have a vested interest in that. Um, I'll be attending, and you, you may be there as well, buddy, because you're, you're in San Diego. Um, I was invited to a Smart Cities um, uh, two-day event that Qualcomm is hosting in San Diego, I'm assuming at their corporate headquarters. And so again, I just, you know, I continue to be impressed with how they're, they're pushing the ecosystem. And, you know, it's really not just about, you know, they're selling their Snapdragon solutions. It's really about, you know, sort of enabling, you know, all these verticals and all these industries. So, I mean, Diana, do you have any final thoughts before we close up? Yeah, the only thing I would add is that this kind of plays into Qualcomm's diversification strategy that they outlined, I think it was a couple of years ago at CES, I want to say, back when CES was a thing that happened in person. Um, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember them uh, pointing to automotive as one of the key verticals that they were going to chase. And uh, it's it's good to see them follow through and, and I'll be interested to see what comes of it. Awesome. Yeah. All right, take us home. Take us home. Absolutely. <laughs> we hope our viewers and listeners this week found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Uh, Diana is at DMRE's Beat. Will is at Whale Town Tech. And I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.